from Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. And welcome into another fine edition of the Automotive ADHD Podcast. I'm Matt West, hanging out with you on a beautiful, dare I say, well, rainy and cold. I don't know. I think the rain is fun. Uh, No, it it is a little bit chillier of a day here in the uh, shadow of Pikes Peak. Uh, Overcast, even some snow coming down. It's Halloween. Nice, uh, spooky kind of ambiance to the day. Good day to be inside, working on the car, maybe in the garage, doing whatever, getting some stuff done. I've been getting a lot of things done on the car as well. But we've got a lot of great things to talk about Today, there is a new cannonball record, but it's not the one you think. Also, I'm going to talk about Toyota and some of their executives. They have some thoughts on uh, EVs, but also namely going into the um, $12,000 credit for EVs that may be signed off by the uh, U.S. government soon. We'll, uh, We'll see about that. Also, the new Corvette. Yeah, the C8, well, the Z06 model has come out. It has a very special engine, that flat plane crank. We're going to talk about that, but more importantly, what exactly is a flat plane crank? Going to get a little technical, going to learn some stuff. It's going to be really cool. But before I get into any of that, I want to talk about this real quick, which is in Poland, the country of Poland, they have invented flower scented roads (laughs) yes because i've always wanted roads to smell different than they do no well they've, they've invented a new type of asphalt that contains scented oils and chemicals uh that in theory make the roads smell better uh and especially while they're being built they want uh road workers to not be smelling asphalt and you know that that kind of tarry smell that it has no no they they would like them to be smelling flowers which you know what hey that's that is fine. I've just, you know, <laughs> even after the road is built, I've, I've never been like, you know, I really wish my roads smelled different. Yeah, I've never thought about that. Uh, now, it gave, me, it gave me an idea, though. I mean, what are some other creative things that we could make the roads smell like? I mean, there's good stuff. We could make them smell like uh, beer. Uh, we could uh, maybe even monetize this, right? Like, what if a deodorant company sponsored a road so that the road... Smells like the deodorant. I mean, this is a whole new avenue of advertising and marketing that is totally unrealized potential. Or, get this, even better, we could have road-scented roads. They could smell like asphalt. That would be uh, truly, truly a novel idea. Just saying. So, I just wanted to touch on that for a uh, little bit. Ladies, gentlemen, Ford Pulsars, let's get into talking about the main thing today, which is that new cannonball record so there was one that was just set for evs uh electric cars and that's not the one i'm going to be talking about no i mean while that one is good um earlier this week there was also a cannonball record for motorcycles yeah so if you're unfamiliar by the way uh with the cannonball run uh, maybe you're familiar with the movie you could be familiar with that uh it's it's a cross-country uh race against the clock from new york city to LA, uh, specifically the uh, Portofino Hotel uh, in California. And um, is it legal? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, is it morally ambiguous? Of, of course it is. Uh, but the uh, the movie Cannonball Run was loosely based on some real events that happened in some of the first iterations of the Cannonball, uh, which happened back in the 1970s. Um, and now, 
over time, it's kind of uh, waned out of popularity. And now after the early 2000s, the 2010s now, it's getting really popular. You're seeing lots of people uh, making these illegal, these daring runs from one end of the country to the other end. And the idea is you need to do it in the shortest time possible. It's the two longest points across the country, the longest distance that you can travel while staying in the United States in a, a certain amount of time. Now, that said, the motorcycle um, record is is interesting, okay? Because the current Cannonball Run record, the main record, is 25 hours, 39 minutes. That is in a car with um, tons of equipment, all sorts of crazy stuff, auxiliary fuel tanks, all of the above, a really prepped vehicle. Um, and uh, on a motorcycle, it's different because... You can't be running as many huge fuel tanks. You can't run as many like countermeasures, radar detectors, laser jammers. Now you can. It's just you have to be a little more creative uh, in how you do that. So uh, that that's why this is interesting. And again, you know, hey, not <laughs> I can't condone it on an official level. This is not a legal activity, uh, but it is famous and it has obviously been romanticized in movies and media over the decades now. Um, it, it, you know, and for the record, no one has ever. Uh, been injured um, in a uh, cannonball run uh, in its history. So that is good. Now, getting back to the bike, this was done by a guy named Alex Jones, not the talk show host Alex Jones, though. That would be I, that would be entertaining. I'd like to see him do this. But no, different Alex Jones. And um, he got a uh, what was it? A, a Yamaha FJR touring bike. So kind of a bigger, upright, you know, comfy touring motorcycle. And he picked it up for $4,000. So normally when you see these cannonball uh, record attempts, many, many tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands, are spent on the vehicle and kitting it out uh, to be adequate to to do a record. Uh, and no, this guy, what I really like is he embodied the, the cheap route, which is kit a cheap motorcycle, $4,000. He put an extra fuel tank on the back and uh, then he just sent it all the way across the country. He did say that he had some radar detectors on the bike. Uh, and uh, th this is one thing to me that is just crazy doing it on a motorcycle. I mean, look, you know, I get it. This is a car show, uh, but we need we need to take a moment, you know, to embrace our motoring brethren who were, you know, they were born with two less wheels than the rest of us. But hey, we still love them all the same. And uh, to me, it is just wild to think of doing this on a motorcycle. I I've have some experience riding motorcycles. And after like five or six hours, I am starting to get set, uh, stiff. My legs are hurting. My back is hurting. Probably doesn't help that I've I've rode mostly sport bikes. It's not intended for that. But even then, I mean, riding a touring motorcycle, the longest I've rode on one of those was about 10 hours. And um, that's that's still a tough ride. Now, uh, Alex here, Alex Jones, did this run in 32 hours, 52 minutes, um, which is a record for the motorcycle, uh, I guess, division of this. It's not officiated by any, like, sanctioning body. So... I mean, it's individuals going out verifying these runs with GPS. There's no real officiation here, but he has done it, uh, as we know, uh, the fastest of any motorcycle rider. And he, that was a total, by the way, of 2,788 miles, 32 hours nonstop, only stopping occasionally for fuel. And that is it. And uh, apparently he consumed a significant quantity of caffeine pills on the way. Um, 
Maybe not the most healthy thing, but hey, he got the record. He said he did it. He's going to move on to some other things now, move on to some other ideas. Again, motorcycle riders are just crazy because, I mean, then especially for a cannonball here, right? So that you're doing it in the wind. Uh, crosswinds are a really big deal when you're riding a motorcycle cross country. You're doing it in the rain, the cold, doing a run like this as well in going into fall. Uh, it's pretty cold in a lot of places like, you know, here in the in Colorado Springs. I mean, it's like 35 degrees and kind of raining, kind of snowing right now. Uh, yeah, you got to be clinically insane to do this. Um, again, I, I do love that he was able to pull this off for very little money, um, which is always kind of a, a win for the small guy trying to get into whatever, whether it's a illegal, romanticized, giant cross-country race or um, or just or just actual, you know, official motorsports. It's always a win for the little guy to be able to do something, do it well, do it on the cheap. And guess what? Be faster than all the guys who spent a ton of money doing it in the process. There's always something cool about that to me. Uh, now, would I do this uh, on a motorcycle? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I do love bikes. I do love riding them. It is fun traveling cross country. The great thing about bikes is they are cheap. You can, I mean, you can go forever on just a little bit of fuel. They just sip on that fuel. So that is good. Uh, can I imagine doing this, um, you know, same, uh, sustaining speeds of like 120 miles an hour cross country? Uh, oh, man, I, on a bike for 32 hours. I don't know. I don't even know how you have the mental focus at that point on a bike. Because, I mean, that's one reason why this is so dangerous is because, you know, you uh, your mental focus, if you're doing like a real cannonball or if you're trying to do an endurance race, you know, whatever, uh, that wanes off over time. As you get tired, you start to make little mistakes. And a little mistake in a car might not be catastrophic it could be but a lot of times it won't be but if you're on a bike and you're making a little mistake or you just you're not paying quite as much attention and you hit that one pothole on the highway i mean that's game over on a motorcycle in a in a lot of cases uh not to mention wildlife i mean there uh you know think of all the wildlife crossing the roads as you're trying to do this cannonball run and um you know you smack a deer at 100 miles an hour in a car you're having a really bad day you smack a deer at 30 miles an hour on a motorcycle and you might not have any more days after that, not to mention at 100 miles an hour. So, yeah, really dangerous, really crazy. Uh, but all the same, uh, it is an interesting record. It is an interesting part of American culture. I mean, this is uh, cannonball runs again are becoming a little more part of the car culture as a whole now. Uh, more and more people are doing record attempts than than ever before. It was kind of a dead period after the 70s to the 2000s. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it kind of became popular again. And you could probably thank, thank folks like uh, Ed Bolian and his YouTube channel for popularizing it a little bit. But yeah, interesting stuff. Totally terrifying, by the way. <laughs> totally terrifying. I don't know if I would do it. I don't know if I would. Maybe not on a bike. That's a uh, that's a tough proposition. So uh, good. Good on Mr. Mr. Alex Jones here. He did it. He survived. He claims the record for it. And uh, and uh, hopefully <laughs> all goes well going forward i i would hate to see you know the the whole goal like with cannonball runs you know they say well no one's ever been hurt doing these yeah they're illegal yeah they're kind of morally on the sketchy side of the line uh, but no one's been hurt i mean i wonder too if in the future as more people are attempting to do these cannonball runs more and more and more and then it becomes a thing and then it becomes not this cool little underground car scene movement and maybe someone does get hurt 
that could be really bad for the whole thing in general. So I do wonder about that going forward. But anyway, I got more to talk about coming up. Lots more. We're going to be talking about flat plane cranks, the new Corvette Z06. Also, why Toyota doesn't think everyone should buy EVs. It's going to be pretty good. We'll be back after the break. And now for how things work with an engineer. Transmissions. Shift. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttle warrior. Oh man, hear, hear those car sounds? Those, uh, those could be yours, by the way. Have your car sounds on the show. Uh, I want to thank my buddy uh, Tirso for uh, sending that one into the show. Man, I, 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 you, you have my condolences. May your engine rest in lots and <laughs> lots of little pieces. Um, that That is a uh, bummer. But of course, by the way, if you want to send in your car sounds, if you've got cool car sounds, maybe your car doing a pull, revving the engine, whatever, send them into the show. Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. You can email them there as well. So I want to follow up on uh, my discussion with the, um, uh, the GR86 uh, from a few weeks ago. That is the new GT86 slash uh, Subaru BRZ uh, car. And uh, what's interesting is Toyota has now announced pricing for the car, but more importantly, eh, well, pricing, it is whatever. No, but more importantly, they've announced that every single Toyota GR86 sports car that you buy will come with a free session on track with an instructor. How cool is that? You see like really up end, you know, sports cars, Porsches and uh, oh, even the um, uh, the, the Dodge Demon or no, it wasn't the Demon. It was one of the Hellcats. You could get the Hellcat and then a, uh, session on track at, you know, uh, a performance driving school, uh, with, with an instructor, you know, you see this with more expensive cars, but for this to be offered on, get this, a $28,725 car is pretty cool. I mean, you know, Toyota wants people to know that its car is a legit track car. It is a sports car. It is meant to be on track, having fun. Uh, I mean, the 86 is such a cool platform, even the previous generation. And then the old AE86, which I'm decently experienced uh, with those, or, well, I'm, I'm good at breaking mine, but <laughs> that's about it. But that said, um, maybe this will also convince uh, more people uh, that stancing cars, I'm, I'm not pointing any fingers, but maybe this will convince people you know, that haven't been on track, but they want to buy the car and they're going to stance it out and they might just go do the track day. This might convince them that, you know, doing stance on cars kind of ruins the drivability at least. And I know, I know some guys are like, well, it's not about the drivability. It's about aesthetics. Okay, cool. Whatever. I mean, you, you do you, but uh, maybe this will cut down a little bit on the number of people just stancing cars out because they'll be like, man, this car is really good on track. I've never been on track. This is super cool. Um, and uh, I think, um, I do think substantially uh, more people will take the new 86 on track than those taking the new C8 Corvette on track. Ooh, did I, uh, did I say that out loud? Was that a jab at Corvette owners? Maybe maybe it was just uh, just a little bit. We're going to be talking more about Corvettes here in, in just a little bit, though. But yeah, $28,000, by the way, uh, for the new 86 is, by the way, it's 28725 for the base model with delivery fees and all that stuff. And that is $50 less 
than the old one. A whopping 50 bucks. Yeah, it's, uh, hey, it's, it's not a lot of money, but it is still technically cheaper. And it's not often that a new, whole new platform, a whole new model of a car, a complete refresh comes out that is better, has more power, handles better, everything is better about it, uh, looks better too. Uh, and then guess what? It's cheaper than the old one. No, I mean, we see this trend in cars all the time. Oh, the new whatever came out, the new Corvette or the the new Camaro, the new Mustang. It's always more expensive than the outgoing model because they're like, well, you're getting more stuff with it. It's a better car. No, Toyota is giving you a better car, a better chassis, $50 less. 50 bucks, that could go towards um, any any number of things you could buy a lot of air fresheners with <laughs> with 50 bucks but uh but yeah now that it's a very good idea i like toyota doing that um you know kind of reinforcing the fact that the uh, 86 is a, it's a track toy it's a fun little car it's there to compete with the miata no you're not competing with corvettes with it you're not competing with porsches you might actually be competing for their times on the track depending on the track if it's a narrow small enough technical enough track It'd be surprised that little 200 horsepower car will, will hold its own there. But uh, no, for the most part, you're not competing in that. That for You're not competing power-wise with it. You're not competing uh, price-wise with those cars either. But I mean, $28,000, I think you're going to have more fun in a brand new 86 than you would in... Um, in something like a new Corvette. That's, you know, it's just, just my two cents there. Not saying the Corvette's a bad car, but gosh, those 86s are cool. I love the old model. I can't wait to uh, get behind and uh, drive the new one. That'll be really cool. So now speaking of Toyota, one other thing that needs to be talked about, and this is the not-so-performance side of Toyota. It's the eco and, and uh, you know, environmentally friendly side of Toyota. But this is important, actually, because some of the executives at the company uh, recently came out in a statement saying that no, not everyone should drive an EV. And people are like, what? You can't say people shouldn't drive EVs. They're the future. Well, this comes from Toyota's chief scientist, uh, Gil Pratt. And, uh, and he says that having diversity, diversity, there you go, but having diversity in drivetrains uh, to reduce CO2 uh, you know, to, to create drivetrains that reduce CO2 emissions and pollution, he says is important to futuring technology as opposed to just settling on one type of technology and, and calling that good, uh, like EVs, for instance. And I'm not saying EVs are bad by any mean. In fact, there's a lot of EVs that are cool as hell. I mean, some of the Teslas come to mind. They are so fast and they handle great. Uh, they're fantastic cars. Um, but but uh, uh, Pratt... Uh, Gil Pratt's point here is that, you know, while those are good, settling on those as a means to combat pollution um, may not be good because other drivetrains, certain hybrids and alternative fuels might actually have lower carbon footprints than even electric cars can. And, you know, people are like, well, electric cars, there's no there's no emissions from them at all. Well, obviously not from the car itself while it's operating. Uh, but you have the uh, the emissions from the power that's generated to charge the cars. A lot of electric cars exist in a world where uh, in, in areas and regions that aren't solar powered, they're still using coal fired power plants. That's still pollution. Even solar pa uh, powered uh, vehicles or solar uh, power grids that you're then charging the Tesla from, even those, you got to make the solar panels. And a lot of the stuff they use in those isn't the best thing in the world. So Toyota's point is that, you know, EVs are good. They're a good thing we have, and they're a good tool, and they're a good technology. But what if we 
you know, keep branching out and keep researching stuff and alternative fuels and different hybrid drivetrains and hydrogen drivetrains and all of the above instead of just, you know, stopping and saying, yep, we got EVs. We're good now. Uh, and this is this brings me into a little bit of a political dis uh, discussion, because what happens is when people get fixated on one thing like electric cars, which are very much becoming the the trendy mainstream for, you know, uh, wealthy, wealthy hipsters to buy and, you know, and parade around on social media. Uh, I'm not saying everyone who buys a EV is a wealthy hipster, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a trendy thing that people are doing now. Right. You ask kids in like the third or fourth grade. Oh, what do you want now? <laughs> they want a Tesla. Uh, I, when I was at that age, I was, I was obsessed with uh, Corvettes, if you could believe that, even though I talk crap on them now. But that said, um, the, you know, what, what happens is, you know, people get fixated on a certain technology and then, well, manufacturers start only making those technologies and not researching other things because that's profitable. That's what's trendy right now. That's what sells. Companies are in the business of making money. Now, this does tie into a, um, and what Toyota said as well, is political because it ties into an upcoming infrastructure bill um, that uh, Joe Biden is uh, likely to sign here soon, which would be a $12,500 credit towards purchasing EVs with a little asterisks that are, uh, you know, little uh, subtext there that are, quote, union made. Now, that is up from the current $7,500 uh, credit for EVs that currently stands. Now, the uh, administration and the government's idea is let's give people a credit towards EVs so more people buy EVs. And this is good and green and it's good for the environment. But um, Toyota, you know, their rebuttal to this uh, was that, you know, there should be tax credits and stuff like this for other green technologies, not just government saying, oh, yep, electric cars, that's the way to go. We need more electric and you're only going to get a tax credit or whatever if you're going electric, as opposed to what if you made a new drivetrain or found an alternative fuel that can be retrofitted to existing drivetrains that is just as good um, for emissions and greenhouse gases and all of that stuff. Well, you wouldn't be getting the tax credit because well, it's not electric. So you see the problem there is by arbitrarily saying that, nope, electric is the only way we can go. That actually ends up limiting uh, innovation and other technologies because companies aren't going to be as willing to make those when they're not as profitable because less people are buying them because less people are getting the you know tax credit for it. Um, and, uh, and as a result, again, companies at the end of the day are in business to make money. And um, so, I mean, now here's the thing too with... Um, you know, green cars, you know, does it not make more sense to uh, put funding into alternative fuels, like I said, that could retrofit to, you know, existing machines that have less emissions or are uh, friendlier to the environment to produce, you know, right? Because I'm not a big like eco fanatic, but this is something that I think is important as a car enthusiast and as someone who likes cars and likes combustion engines and likes burnouts and drifting and all this cool stuff. This is important because, you know, these governments ultimately, you know, around the world are making these rules and uh, are, you know, in this way, for instance, with this, um, infrastructure bill, uh, in some ways, limiting the actual development of other alternative fuels that could be better. You know, if you have an alternative fuel that can be cheaply retrofitted onto existing cars, is it not more environmentally friendly to run an existing car that's already been built? The the manufacturing has already been done. You know, the pollution from the factory, the, the mining of the metals and the materials, that's already been done. The car's here. It's here right now. 
you know, doing a simple conversion to whatever other fuel makes a lot of sense. Now, I know there's engineering challenges when you do this. It's not as simple as, well, we'll just convert it to XYZ new fuel. You got to, you know, develop the fuel itself. You got to develop uh, parts and supply chains and all this different stuff to retrofitting them. And, you know, there's a there's a big headache around this. But is that not a better idea than just completely uprooting our system and saying, nope, we've decided EVs are the way to go and uh, we're just going to be selling new ones and everyone should just get a new car because the um, environmental impact of um, doing that, making new factories, making new cars constantly is arguably more damaging to the environment uh, than just using the ones you have or, you know, working on the fuels you have and keeping older cars that are still efficient and, you know, all of the above, keeping them on the road. So, I mean, I granted EVs have their application, but, um, you know, and, and they can be really fast. That Tesla Model S Plaid, holy crap. That's, you know, like one of the fastest production cars, zero to 60 ever, like period, gas or electric. It doesn't, doesn't matter. That's a fast car as a car enthusiast, even though it doesn't have a throbbing big V8 in it, um, going fast as hell with that kind of car. That's appealing to me. That's cool. That is cool. Um, I do think you lose some engagement with electric cars, but that's a, that's a whole nother topic there. So anyway, off to less green topics. Speaking of those big throbbing V8s, let's talk about flat plane cranks. This is cool. We're going to get into this in the next segment. So this is going to be coming up. Of course, Chevy's got the new Corvette. They got a new engine, the flat plane crank. Maybe you know what that is. Maybe you don't. We're going to be talking about it right after this. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve, turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro, we'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car's suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash ThrottleWarrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. And we are rocking it for the third half of the show. I got a lot of great things to talk about here. Of course, I want to thank you for joining me on the Automotive ADHD podcast. Of course, uh, find this podcast wherever fine podcasts and, uh, you know, this one are downloaded. Uh, one thing I want to get into before I talk about the new Corvette. Did you see this? There is a guy in France who created a fantastic invention. This is a tool that he has invented to train drivers to use their turn signals more often. Yeah, <laughs> this is uh, now he says he targets this specifically at BMW drivers uh, as they are typically the uh, usual offenders. Now, I find all drivers now sucking at using their turn signals, but that's just my observation. Um, and uh, so what he did is he took a couple of hobbyist Arduino, you know, little boards, little computer boards and a Raspberry Pi microcontroller uh, and basically built this thing that uses Arduinos and a Raspberry Pi that knows the steering angle of your car and it knows that relation to the turn signal stock and it knows if you flipped the turn signal before turning or if you've just turned without the turn signal. And uh, he calls this uh, positive 
punishment, as he calls it. So uh, t- take a listen. T- take a listen to this. It'll uh, it'll play a sound when you uh, make a turn without your uh, blinker. Here's here's that clip. Now, <laughs> now the cool thing is this system is applicable to all cars. It can be retrofitted to your car with uh, anything as simple as a piece of duct tape. Very simple, you know, toolless installation. And um, I think this is something that we need, um, especially here in the U.S., because, I mean, come on, our driver education system is failing. It has been failing for a long time. That is a topic, by the way, uh, for another show. But uh, now, granted, this system, it's its in the prototype phases still. It's not perfect. Um, it triggers sometimes going through roundabouts as well as um, just during like low speed parking maneuvers. Uh, this thing is going to be shouting at you that you forgot your turn signal. So then again, you might as well just use your turn signals while doing those low speed parking maneuvers anyway. Uh, you know, better, better, more t- turn signals than not. I think we are better in a world with more of those. Now, this man, by the way, he's probably the um, the guy who made this. Uh, he, he's probably the the premier inventor of our time. I mean, he's this is this is truly a technology <laughs> that we need. But anyway, uh, speaking, by the way, of uh, cool inventions, the flat plane crank is very cool. And um You might have heard the news that the new Corvette Z06 was announced earlier this week. I mean, it wasn't a surprise. Anyone in the car scene kind of knew this was coming. Um, And and sure, I mean, sure, it wasn't a surprise, but it's still cool that it happened. And the Corvette Z06 always has a little bit of a, you know, it's an upgrade to the regular standard trim Corvette. Now, last year we had the Corvette C8 come out, the first mid-engine Corvette um, ever to be, you know, mass produced. And, uh, what's different though, the C, uh, the C8 Corvette, yeah, it's mid-engine, but what's different about, um, the Z06 is that it has a completely different engine from the standard C8. Uh, it's a V8, of course, and it makes 670 horsepower, 460 pound feet of torque with 5.5 liters. And you're like, oh, it's gotta be turbocharged, supercharged at the very least. No, naturally aspirated. There is no forced induction happening. There is no turbo. There is no supercharger. It's doing that with good old fashioned, naturally aspirated power. And that is the highest output of any production naturally aspirated V8 uh, ever made in the American market. So that's really cool. It's of course been widely anticipated. Um, but importantly, what's different about this engine and why it's able to reach some of those high power numbers, um, is because it uses a piece of technology uh, a variation of the crankshaft known as a flat plane crank. So what exactly is a flat plane crank? Well, to understand that, we have to break down what the traditional crankshaft layout for a V8 is, which is it's called a cross plane crank. So you have cross plane crank and you have a flat plane crank. And um, and fundamentally, without getting too technical, it's fairly simple what's going on here. So in, in the cross plane crank, this is the cr- traditional crankshaft layout of uh, pretty much any V8. I mean, you think of the standard rumbly American muscle car V8. That's a cross plane crank. And you can tell this too, when you look at the actual, like if you were to look at the crankshaft outside of the engine. Now, it's a quick refresher. Uh, the You know, obviously the crankshaft um, is what the connecting rods and by extension, the pistons are ultimately connected to. It's swinging those rods and then the pistons around um, in the um, in the engine. 
And um, and what it's doing with that, you know, obviously those pistons are going up and down. This is turning that. Um, it's a fairly simple concept there. But uh, when you look at a cross-plane crank and you look at it, um, you know, if you were to look at it totally uh, horizontally, like if you're looking at the front of it, straight down it, right at the very front, you would actually see the lobes, I guess you could call them lobes, the different journals and sections of the crank um, making a, a plus shape. Uh, and this, uh, you know, results in the pistons and the, you know, this contributes to the firing order of the engine, the way the pistons are moving up and down in the engine. This contributes to all of that. And it also gives, you know, V8s that sound that they're known for, that rumbly good noise, because what happens in a traditional V8 is uh, you do have at some point during the you know whole a whole cycle of the engine you have two pistons firing at the same time on the same side of the engine so you, that gives it a little bit of an uneven unevenness that kind of warbly cool sound that it quite frankly I mean it's it's American it's Americana it's you know muscle cars you know that sound um, now that oh, having two pistons sometimes firing or moving at the same time on the same side um, does result in some interesting characteristics when it comes to uh, flowing air into the engine, uh, especially through the, you know, like the intake manifold and stuff. And that's, again, contributes to the sound, but also contributes to the power band and a lot of other things. Where this differs with the flat plane crank, it has the sections of the crankshaft that the connecting rods connect to. Again, I'm going to call them just lobes for the lack of a better term, not like not like a cam lobe. But um, what it does, the, the flat plane crank has everything in a line. They're going a straight line. There's no cross shape to them. There's no unevenness. You got ones on one side. One's basically going to the other side. And what this means, um, <laughs> it's challenging to explain this in an audio only format, but I think you'll get the idea. But even if you don't, the sound of it it gives is so distinct and different the way this engine works you have an even firing of all the cylinders on each side of the engine you know one going up the other one's going down on the other side it's balanced and um, that means that it can uh, have even air pulses going through the intake manifold even um, distribution of that air being sucked into the engine and um, this makes an interesting for an interesting power band when the the actual engine you know comes onto its peak power its peak torque its uh, peak horsepower uh but again uh, getting back to the sound of this it's so cool when you think of think of like a ferrari v8 if you've ever heard a ferrari v8 just screaming really high rpm that's a flat plane crank and um th the corvette switching to this um, is is a really good idea because, you know, one thing that the flat plane crank does is it has less counterweights um, to keep the crank balanced, meaning, meaning there's less rotational mass, you know, so there's less inertia to overcome when those pistons are moving, meaning the engine will rev faster. It will have a higher red line as well. You have, again, less rotating parts, less rotating weight to create inertia and, uh, and force so you can have a higher red line without the thing just grenading itself. So that's cool. And why this is important for something like the Corvette um, is because it's a sports car. And if 
for one, Chevy's wanting to compete and take a little bit of the pie away from Porsche and Ferrari. Well, this is one way to do it. You know, the, the Europeans have always scoffed at American engines because they're, oh, they're old school. They use, you know, a cross plane cranks. They're unruly. They're, you know, which is kind of the charm of them as well. But no, GM's going for that kind of sophisticated Ferrari demographic now. You want a fast car, but it, you know, it's going to be high performing, high revving, really fun. That's that's good stuff. Those are all good things. Now, here's a here's a quick clip of what the flat plane crank sounds like um, in the Corvette. And uh, you'll hear it again. If you've ever heard a, a V8 Ferrari, I mean, <laughs> kind of sounds like the same thing. Give this a listen. Yeah, so that that's don't we don't have the best sounds of the Corvette yet. That's just from some of uh, GM's pro promotional uh, materials. Now, if you really want to get a feel for what um, cross or sorry, flat plane crank engines sound like in comparison, um, the Shelby GT350 from a few years ago also was notable uh, for using a flat plane crank V8. Uh, you know, so GM's not the first doing this. Anyone who says, yeah, they're the first American manufacturer to do, to do this doesn't. No, they, they don't know. But uh, it's uh, the GT350. Here's a video or here's a sound from a video of one uh, running on the Nürburgring. And I mean, the RPMs, I'm a sucker for RPMs, by the way. I love high revving engines and having a V8, having lots of cylinders and high revving. That's cool. That's cool. Give this a listen. Oh, man, that is ah, that's hot. That sounds so good. Sounds so good. I love it. Now, a lot of diehard muscle car guys kind of don't. They're like, ah, that's not a muscle car. That's not what we like about muscle cars. And again, uh, each to their own on that. I mean, whew, that's a good sounding engine. Anyway, the uh, Corvette, by the way, uh, red line on that. The new one is going to be over uh, 8000 RPM. They're still not 9,000 like an S2, S2000, but, you know, hey, hey, no, <laughs> no hard feelings there. Um, and of course, Ferrari's been using this technology for years. But where this is cool and where this positions the Corvette in the sports car market is also interesting because um, it, it, the, you know, a comparable mid-engine now, now that the Corvette's mid-engine, it's not front-engine anymore, uh, it's now going to be competing with stuff like Ferraris. And the closest Ferrari, like, say, the Ferrari 488, uh, with a V8, that MSRP's at the at about three hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and that's the starting price. Of course, no one's actually buying one for that price. I mean, that's before anyone does options and all that stuff and delivery. I mean, you're talking four hundred thousand if you're wanting to buy a new one. Uh, and I'm I can pretty much guarantee they didn't release pr uh, pricing yet, but the new Corvette will probably price over a hundred thousand dollars, even past Z06s with options. Uh, all the options ticked off would be over a hundred thousand. Uh, but by no means is it going to be probably more than 150. Um, and, uh, that's what less than basically half, uh, it's more than, more than half, uh, of the cost of, um, of the comparable Ferrari 488. So, uh, and then that obviously leaves you competing with Porsches too. Some of the, uh, lower end Porsches brand new are coming in at that hundred and some thousand dollar price. But what's that get you like a Boxster, uh, great car, but not a V8. Not a high revving V8 at that. Not 670 horsepower. Um, it, it, it will truly be the best supercar bargain. The Corvette has departed from just being a cool muscle car to genuinely 
playing in the same realm as supercars and really fast, really expensive, really exotic cars. All it doesn't have is the provenance and branding behind like Ferrari and Lamborghini, you know, I mean, sure, Corvette enthusiasts like you know, the, the history of the Corvette, it's got a long, long history, but for someone who's buying a car for image and for, uh, the, you know, again, the provenance of the brand, that's still something Corvette doesn't have, which I also think that's kind of a silly reason to buy cars for like the brand, you know, regardless, regardless of how good the car is. No, no, it's, it's just the brand. I, <laughs> that's a, that's a topic for, uh, for a, uh, another day, though. So it'll be curious to see. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots of YouTubers out and about once they get these C8 Corvettes. There's going to be lots of press on them. Uh, it's going to be, you're going to see tons of them doing tons of different things. Uh, it's definitely going to be, I'm sure Ferrari is probably looking looking at that and probably knowing they're going to lose some sales to it. Then again, they're Ferrari and they just, they're stuck up and they don't care because, you know, well, again, their Ferrari. So, hey, what can you do? What can you do? My money is still, by the way, on the new GR86. Ah, screw the mid-engine Corvette. <laughs> I like the new GR86. It's also like $28,000. And then, you know, get a used one, even cheaper. Go hit it. Go send it around the track. Who cares? a fun car. That is my opinion right there. Either way, I want to thank you for joining me on this uh, fine edition of the show. The podcast, by the way, comes out every single Sunday now, so be sure to uh, subscribe on whatever po uh, podcast platform you use, on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the above, wherever fine podcasts in this one are downloaded. And of course, you can check out all things Throttle Warrior at ThrottleWarrior.com. Email your car sounds into Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. And I will see you next time on another edition of the show when I use a bulletproof Aston to save the queen. See you then. <laughs>